Greetings, I'm Will Tompkins, and this is the Narrow Way Podcast. This series of episodes is our 17-week study of John Bunyan's timeless book, The Pilgrim's Progress, edited by C.J. Lovick. This edition is available on Amazon in both paper and on the Kindle e-reader. It is also available on the Crossway Books website. Links to both are available in the description text of the first episode of this series. When the power of darkness comes in like a flood, the battle belongs to the Lord. He's raised up a standard, the power of His blood, the battle Now, at the end of our previous episode, Christian, our pilgrim, was just leaving the armory of House Beautiful, where the maidens therein had outfitted him in the full armor of God. In this episode, covering chapter 4 of our text, A Fierce Battle and a Dark Valley, we'll discuss the Valley of Humiliation, Apollyon, the Valley of the Shadow of Death, and the Giants, Pope, and Pagan. And let us begin this episode with Paul's prophetic words from Philippians three twelve to 14. Not that I have obtained it already, or have already been perfected, but I press onward, that perhaps I might seize that for which I myself was seized by the Anointed One, Jesus. Brothers, I do not yet reckon myself to have seized hold save of one thing, both forgetting the things lying behind and also stretching out to the things lying ahead, I press onward to the mark for the prize of God's call above in the Anointed One, Jesus. Amen. Now, by way of review, let's recount each piece of the armor of God. There is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Now let me ask you, loved ones, what is our only offensive weapon? The sword, the sword, the word of God. And why is there no armor for the back? Because we must face our enemy remembering always that the Lord has our backs, and because our role is never to retreat, but rather to advance his name, his kingdom, and to take the banner of Christ forward and defeat the powers and principalities of darkness. Amen. Now our pilgrim enters the Valley of Humiliation. Christian's descent into this valley was not without incident, as he nearly slipped and fell more than once. But the maidens were there to help him with their spiritual encouragement. And so ultimately he arrives intact at the bottom of the hill, at the beginning of the valley of humiliation. 
and here at the bottom before they depart. The maidens give Christian a loaf of bread, a bottle of wine, and a cluster of raisins. And then he went on his way, alone. The maidens know it will be difficult because there is an ever-present danger for Christians who have been well-fed and favored with special blessings to become puffed up, haughty, proud. And they know that Satan will hurl darts that tempt us to pride, carelessness, presumption, self-confidence, mistrust of God, and despair. In this and many other ways, Satan uses subtle and artful reasoning to prevent pilgrims from persevering in the ways of the Lord. So let's take a moment to summarize the spiritual truths that Christian will learn here, and by extension, loved ones, all of us here as well. He learns that the destroyer who he will meet soon enough is always and aggressively seeking to profess his ownership of us. This is Apollyon, who represents the devil, the angel of the bottomless pit in the book of Revelation 9.11. That he, Satan, has immense power, which he wields ruthlessly. That he dominates worldly values, and that he hates our Lord and he hates his cross. Indeed, he finds the cross of our Lord Jesus odious, repulsive. Christian will learn that Apollyon uses subtle and artful reasonings to prevent pilgrims from persevering in the ways of the Lord. He's always in your head. Christian will also learn that he has been given weapons to fight with, not to play with. You know, It is the mindset of our present day that this life here is to be full of ease and comfort and that the abundant life Christ spoke of is understood to mean physical comforts of every kind. But the teachings of Christ and the apostles were quite different. Their preaching was about athletes in training, strangers and aliens to this world and great battles to be fought and won. Listen to Maureen Bradley. Quote, the battle that is raging for the souls of men demands that we be suited at all times with the complete armor of God, and any soldier who would put down his sword or misplace any of his armor during battle is to be considered most foolish. Now, it is here in this valley of humiliation that Apollyon attempts to humiliate our pilgrim and all other Christians on the way as well for not following God perfectly, for that sin recently committed, for those evil thoughts in your head, and for the corruption that lies in the far corners of your heart. He wants you to believe that you are simply not good enough, that you are in fact not worth redeeming, at all. And humiliation is the perfect weapon here, isn't it? His hope is that you will turn from the Lord, 
angry that you cannot please him, sick of his rules, tired of being judged all the time, and that ultimately you will come to hate God and view his ways as stupid and unachievable, where you are just bashing your head against the wall for no purpose. I remember being in this place more than once, and I have no doubt it will be there again. That's why it is so terribly important to know that we can, that we must stand on his promises. Now, before the final battle scene, Apollyon uses several cunning methods to discredit Christian and weaken his resolve. He attempts to make sin resemble something good and profitable. He points out the hypocrisy of others attempting to show Christian that he's already on the path of deserting his king. He points out all of Christian's prior failures. And finally, he accuses Christian of being dishonorable by seeking the way for his own profit and glory. But what does Christian do? He stands his ground He speaks eloquently of his king. He takes ownership of his own failings and sins, and he rests securely in his king's mercy. And now, unable to take any more of Christian's retorts, they begin a battle. I'll read you from the text. Then Apollyon broke into a hideous rage, shrieking, I am an enemy to this prince. I hate his person his laws, his people. I have purposely come here to stop you. Apollyon, Christian says, beware of what you do, for I am in the king's highway, the way of holiness. Therefore, take heed to yourself. Then Apollyon straddled himself over the whole breadth of the way and countered, I am void of fear in this matter. Prepare to breathe your last, for I swear by my infernal den, that you will go no further. Here will I spill your soul. And with that he threw a flaming dart at Christian's breast. But Christian had a shield in his hand by which he averted it and its danger. And then Christian drew his sword, for he saw that it was time to make a stand. Apollyon quickly advanced on Christian, throwing darts as thick as hail, Christian did all he could to avoid being struck, and yet he could not prevent Apollyon from wounding him in the head, in his hand, in his foot, and these wounds caused Christian to falter a little. Apollyon advanced even more. Finally, Christian found new courage and resisted as manfully as he could, and this mortal combat lasted for about a half a day, a half a day until Christian grew weaker and weaker because of his many wounds. And then Apollyon, spying his opportunity, began to move closer to Christian, wrestling with him until Christian fell to the ground. And with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Then said Apollyon, I have you now, and almost crushed Christian to death, so that Christian began to despair of life. 
But as God would have it, while Apollyon lifted himself up to deliver his last blow and to make a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly stretched out his hand for his sword and grabbed it, saying, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise back up. And with that, Christian gave Apollyon a deadly thrust, which made the fiend fall back as one who had received a mortal wound. Christian, seeing his advantage, thrust his sword at him, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When he heard these words, Apollyon spread out his dragon wings and flew away, and Christian saw him no more. During this entire battle that I saw and heard in my dream, the yelling and hideous roaring from Apollyon can scarcely be imagined, resembling the voice of a dragon, nor can the intensity of the sighs and the groans that issued from Christian be fully described. Christian fought with such vigor that his countenance never once relaxed its grim expression until he perceived that he had wounded Apollyon with his two-edged sword. Only then did Christian smile and look upward. But until that point, it was the most dreadful and fierce fight I had ever witnessed. When the battle was over, Christian said, I will give here thanks to him who delivered me out of the mouth of the lion, to him who helped me against Apollyon. And so Christian rejoiced in song as he proceeded. Once again, Pilgrim had placed his confidence in the mighty hands of his king. Bunyan concludes, And with that, Apollyon spread forth his dragon wings and sped away, that Christian for a season saw him no more. As the word of God says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James 4, 7 Then there came to him the hand of a messenger sent by God with some of the leaves of the tree of life which Christian took and applied to the wounds that he had received in the battle, and he was immediately healed. He also sat down in that place to eat the bread and to drink of the wine that was given to him a little before. And as he does, he is remembering the Lord's shed blood and his broken body. Amen. So being now refreshed, he addressed himself to his journey with his sword drawn in his hand. For he said, I know not, but some other enemy may be at hand. But he met with no other affront from Apollyon through this valley. Now here let me mention a couple of noteworthy comments. The two-edged sword Reference in the previous text comes from Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And also this, that the messenger sent by God to help Christian in this great battle to reach for his sword and find it ready, that was Michael the archangel, mentioned in Jude one nine, and in Thessalonians 4.16. 
In this valley of humiliation, we've seen how God humbles believers by adverse circumstances, whether they be bodily illnesses, financial setbacks, times of being passed over, etc. And we've seen how Satan takes advantage of us and attacks us when we are down. Now we'll be entering the valley of the shadow of death. And here I will introduce it by reading a quote from Bunyan Ministries. At the end of the valley of humiliation, there was another called the valley of the shadow of death. And it was necessary for Christian to pass through it because the way to the celestial city was in that direction. Now this valley was a very solitary and lonely place. The prophet Jeremiah describes it as a wilderness, a land of deserts and of pits, a land of drought and of the shadow of death, a land that no man, except a Christian, passes through and where no man dwells. Now it was here that Christian was more severely tried than when he earlier engaged Apollyon in battle. And this will become evident in the following account. And just like that, Christian enters yet another valley, the valley of the shadow of death. This valley illustrates the times of spiritual distress that we all go through, such times as when our worship seems hollow and dull, whereas once it was exciting and full of joy where God seems to hide his face and spiritual things appear obscure and almost unreal, when our religious duties become a burden rather than a delight, and when we become weary in the ongoing battle with sin in our hearts and despair of ever conquering it. The valley becomes all the darker as believers are tempted to doubt that God is in control. Some have longer and darker times in this valley than others. Spurgeon writes, John Bunyan, with great wisdom, puts the palace beautiful first. And then no sooner does Christian get out of the palace gates than he begins to descend into the valley of humiliation. They had given him a sword and a shield and a helmet. He had never had those before. Now that he had a sword, he found that he had to use it against Apollyon. And now that he had a shield, he had to hold it up to catch the fiery dart. Now that he had received the weapon of all prayer, he found that he had need of it as he walked through that desperate place, the valley of the shadow of death. Listen, God does not give his people weapons to play with. He does not give them strength to spend on their lust. Lord, if thou hast given me these godly weapons, it is sure I shall need them in hard fighting. Christian, and by extension all of us, and every pilgrim who travels the narrow way to the city, will learn these spiritual truths as he travels through the valley of the shadow of death. One, that darkness will overcome you without the light of the world. Two, that we must rely on God's promises. And three, that we must stay on the straight and narrow path. Now as Christian approaches the valley, he meets two men who bring an evil report of the way. 
They attempt to excuse their own apostasy by telling of the many dangers they have seen from a distance but have never actually experienced. Do you remember the lions? They are terrified and have lost faith in the living God they sought to follow. Psalm 44:19 but you have severely broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. Now Christian does well by giving them as little time as possible and continues along his way with his sword in his hand fearing he might yet be assaulted. Now there are three phases of his journey through this valley of the shadow of death. First Entering the darkness, two, in the middle, and three, into the light of the day. Now the darkness. This valley is a solitary wilderness, more terrible than the previous. It is, however, a mandatory journey for all pilgrims, because through this valley is the only way to the city. No sooner did Christian come out of one difficult valley than he went down into one much worse. In the valley of humiliation, Christian faced the reality of his own neediness and sinfulness. He confronted the enemy, Apollyon, the accuser of his soul, and he fought valiantly for truth. But now in the valley of the shadow of death, the way has become dark and clouded. The enemy is less clear. In the midst of trial and temptation, Christian must face his doubts and fears and uncertainties. The second valley represents the struggles and depression we face in our pilgrimage when we can no longer see clearly the light of the gospel. Truth is shrouded in darkness. Temptation and sin threaten to cast us down. Worse, The valley becomes all the darker as believers are tempted to doubt that God is in control. Bunyan notes that the path through the valley is hemmed in by a ditch on the right side and a quagmire on the other. Now the ditch represents falling into sinful error. Lovick, the editor of our source text, comments that the ditch represents error in doctrine. Most commentators describe it as the ditch into which the blind have been leading the blind for ages, where they both perish. Scripture supports this interpretation in Matthew fifteen fourteen. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Now the quagmire, also known as the quagmire of moral failure, on the opposite side of the path, represents our being overtaken by sin and overwhelmed with doubts and fears and guilt. Pulse, another commentator, writes that the quagmire represents being overtaken by sin and overwhelmed with doubts and fears and guilt. We sink in its mire when we are beaten down by temptations, when we are weighed down with despair and excessive sorrow, when we feel defeated by struggles and laid low by setbacks, when we try to avoid falling into the ditch by exposing our sins with truth. We are in danger of the quagmire, being overwhelmed with our exceeding sinfulness. 
And when we try to avoid the quagmire by silencing our sins with hope of forgiveness, we are in danger of the ditch, being careless in our walk and presumptuous in our obedience. The exceeding narrowness of the way, loved ones, shows how careful we must be in regard to these ditches and quagmires. The only safe path through this valley is Christ and Christ alone. He is the way and the truth and the light. David once fell into this quagmire. He prayed in Psalm 69 when his soul was overwhelmed. O deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me. And out of the deep waters, let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. Psalm sixty-nine, fourteen to 15 And yet David learned to trust and rest in God, even in dark times. He prayed in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, 4. Now as Christian continues his dark journey through the valley of the shadow of death, his trouble only deepens. He is surrounded by hobgoblins and satyrs and dragons, and he is intimidated by their nearness, which frequently stops him in his tracks. He is unwilling to retreat, for he is loath to discard his past victories as worthless, and thus he exhibits a spirit of perseverance. Loved ones, are we exhibiting a spirit of perseverance during these trials? Defiantly, Christian yells out, I will walk in the strength of the Lord God. Psalm 71.16 and Proverbs 10.29 When he reaches the middle of the valley, he comes near the mouth of hell. And here he is tormented with voices of terror and temptation. He feels threatened and senses that both fiends alluring him into sin and flames threatening him with judgment are coming after him. The valley becomes all the more dark as believers are tempted to doubt that God is in control. And as he comes close to the burning pit, the wicked ones whispered softly in his ear many blasphemies. So convincing were these wicked ones that our pilgrim was convinced these came from his own mind. But he did not have the presence of mind to stop up his ears. By now, Christian is so confounded that he is no longer able to wield his sword. There is nothing identifiable in his thinking upon which he can bring truth to bear. And so he turns to another weapon of spiritual warfare, all prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Ephesians 6.18 He cries out to the Lord with the words of Psalm 116.4 Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. The message is clear, loved ones. We must learn to have faith as David did. We must readily repent of sin and anchor our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, for in him only 
is our salvation. Amen. Psalm 107, 1-2 Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now, as our pilgrim approaches the end of the valley, he sees the light of day. Praise the Lord. Amen. He quotes from the book of Amos, making known that God is the one who is sovereign over all. He is God of the night and God of the day. He is God of the mountain and God of the valley. He turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He exposes and uncovers the darkness. He uncovers the deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. Job 12:22. We are called to heed the word as we walk through this dark world. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Second Peter 1.19 Now the day of light makes Christian both thankful and careful. He is grateful for all that God has brought him through. He is grateful that God was vigilant, keeping his soul from being threatened. The way is filled with danger, and even greater dangers lie ahead for Christian. Even greater. But in God's mercy, the sun is rising, and Christian can see the way forward. And as he continues, he recounts from Job, The days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness. Job 29, 2-3 Loved ones, Every pilgrim, in turn, has to go through this valley, has to learn by himself both the dreadful evils of the heart and the power of temptation and the greatness of deliverance by the almighty power and love of the Savior. He cannot learn this by hearing others tell it. God must teach him by the precious, costly way of discipline. Now, pagan and pope. As our pilgrim Christian continues leaving the valley of the shadow of death behind, he sees strewn across the way blood, bones, ashes, and mangled bodies of men, even pilgrims that had gone this way formerly. This dreadful scene resulted from the wrath of two cave-dwelling giants, pagan and pope, and it represents the persecuted church those who have endured all manner of trials for their faith in our Lord Christ Jesus and their steadfast stance for truth. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of those who have suffered and gained a good testimony through faith. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. Hebrews 11. 
Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 11. Amen. And it goes without saying that Christians continue to be persecuted to this very day. And are we not now that great cloud of witnesses the scripture speaks of? Of course, we must. Listen, loved ones. Perseverance in the faith requires that we are unafraid and unashamed to raise the cross at every opportunity, even to the popes and pagans of this day, to let our lives be a living testimony to the one who bore the shame meant for us. O Father God, let these testimonies be an encouragement to all those traveling along the narrow way that all eyes will be fixed upon Jesus. Amen. And now some backstory. The first dweller in the cave was pagan. England back then was a place of paganism with no light of the gospel. The Pope moved in and eventually pagan died out. The giant Pope represents the Roman Catholic Church that sent missionaries to England and converted the land to its own traditions. In those days, both of these giants were responsible for persecuting pilgrims and sending many to their death. Now in Pilgrim's time, following the Protestant Reformation with the rise of the Commonwealth and influence of the Puritans in England, the Roman Catholic Church had grown weak. Christians sees old giant Pope sitting near the mouth of the cave and taunting him as he goes past, but unable to cause him any harm. Though once powerful and formidable, the giant is now weak and feeble. The valley of the shadow of death was dark and difficult, yet Christian learned to trust God more fully and now leaves the valley with praises and singing. As an aside, in part two, which is Christiana's story, his wife, there is another giant named Maul. Maul represents the Anglican Church, or Church of England. Maul has a club representing political power which was granted to the church by the monarchy, and with this club he strikes blows to those who will not conform to his ways. These blows took the form of laws passed between 1661 and 1671 in England, which were designed to legalize persecution and suppress all meetings for nonconformists. I should point out here that we as followers and adherents of our Lord Jesus are quickly becoming those nonconformists. Maul, by the way, is defeated in part two by Greatheart, an allusion to the Declaration of Liberty in 1672 and the Act of Toleration in 1689. So what has Christian learned, and by extension, we here? He learned that there is a heavy price to pay for lack of full faith, the kind of faith James speaks of in chapter 1. Faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. 
For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He learned that his progress, even in the face of giants, is a reminder of God's ultimate power and sovereignty over all our trials. God's plan and purposes are always good, and they include every trial as well as every triumph. And he learned that it is through trials that our faith is strengthened, making our deliverance all the more sweet. And he learned that we must finish the race. And finally, yes, that we must finish the race. Pray with me. Almighty God, grant us such grace that we would learn to trust and praise you in and through every trial. Father God, strengthen us with your armor, steal us with the truth of your word, and let us always remember that we should glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. May our lives bring you glory and honor, Father God, forever and evermore. Amen. In our next episode, we will meet Pilgrim's traveling companion. It's chapter 5, entitled, A Faithful Friend. Until then, loved ones, may the comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city. 